Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse number 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the Bible says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Amen. One more time, will we diligently seek the Lord this morning and ask God to speak to our hearts, speak to your heart today. In Jesus' name, Lord, we, we surrender to your word, to what you want to do in this place right now. Father, I pray for your anointing, your presence, your power, and your spirit to minister and move in this place. Let there be a demonstration of your spirit, Lord. Let there be a great move of your presence, of your spirit here today. In Jesus' name, we worship you, we praise you, we lift you up, for you are God and there is none else beside you. Jesus, we magnify you this morning. In spite of what we may be faced with, in spite of our situation, we lift you up, Jesus. We surrender to your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Thank you for being here. God bless you this morning. have been talking about having an encounter with God. Jacob encountered God in a dream, and he left that dream relatively unchanged until he met God again a number of years later. And he left that encounter with God with a limp, walked with a limp after that. Shortly after his encounter with God at the brook where he, he fought and wrestled with the angel, Jacob has another encounter with God and God tells him, go back to Bethel, go back to that first place you encountered me and build an altar there, build an altar to the Lord. An altar is a place of dedication. An altar is a place of consecration. And we are changed and transformed when we build that altar. Now in the Old Testament, the altar was built out of stone. And it was fashioned and formed. And it, it produced uh, a place for people to sacrifice an offering to the Lord. An altar was a place where they dedicated themselves, they surrendered themselves, they repented of sins, they, they ministered to the Lord and worshipped and surrendered to Him. And today, we don't offer sacrifices on a stone altar this morning. We don't offer a sacrifice to the Lord with animal blood or sacrifice or anything of that nature because Jesus became our perfect sacrifice and, and offered Himself on the cross and, and created a place for us to enter into the presence of God perfectly. Now we can enter into God's presence boldly because He has already prepared the way for us. We don't offer the animal sacrifices because Jesus offered Himself as the perfect sacrifice. So what kind of sacrifice do we bring? And Hebrews teaches us that we offer the fruit of our lips. The words you say, the prayers you pray, the praises you sing to God are your sacrifices. The, the, the way you live, how you act, how you demonstrate your faithfulness to God in day-to-day -day life, that is your sacrifice to the Lord. 
Romans teaches us that our bodies now are the living sacrifice. We don't have to crucify physically ourselves or, 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 or kill an animal because our bodies, our, our lives, our arms, our legs, our hands, our feet, our eyes, our ears, our mouth, and, uh, and everything that encompasses these things, all the actions that follow from this, are a living sacrifice, a sacrifice that is alive unto God. And I don't crucify myself physically, but, but in a spiritual sense. I, I surrender my desires to God, and I offer my body to Him, my life as a living sacrifice, completely to Him. Hebrews teaches us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I come to God and I offer a sacrifice, but that requires faith. Hebrews says that without faith, if I don't have faith, if I don't bring faith to the table, if faith isn't the starting ingredient, then the Bible says that it is impossible for me to please God. Because he that cometh to God must believe that he is and a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith is the confidence in what or who I have put my trust Faith is the proof or the evidence of what I do not see, but what I believe to be there. My faith becomes the evidence of the unseen. My faith. People say, well, I want, I want proof. I want evidence that there is a God. The centuries recorded of faith and faithful people serving and living for God should be enough evidence to point to the fact that there is a God and that he loves and he has encountered us. It, it, is, it is wonderful to think about it. Some have, have even tried to say, oh, you know what, the, 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 the resurrection of Jesus is fake because the, the disciples staged it. They, you know, they stole the body from the grave and <clears throat> they, they staged this. And, and that might be true if it came to the point where they surrendered their lives and they said, wait, <laughs> it was a hoax. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> boy who cried wolf. That, that, that might have been plausible had some of the apostles or some of the disciples recanted their faith in Christ. If they really knew what they had done, if they really knew that, that yes, Jesus in fact was still dead and and they took his bones from the tomb and, and they staged this elaborate hoax of a resurrection, then perhaps that might be true. However, 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 their evidence was their faith that took them to the grave. And it wasn't a simple execution. Many of them suffered great, great lengths of torture and and terror, and, and there's an old saying that says the, the fire couldn't burn it. The, the lions couldn't eat it. Rome couldn't stop it because it was faith that was tried in the fire, and it was faith in a real God that encountered them in a real way. If you see it, you don't need faith for it. Faith requires what you are seeking for not to be visible to you at this present moment. But faith requires you to trust in something you cannot see. 
It allows you to have concrete assurance and confidence in something that you have not seen and cannot see. Hebrews 11.3 says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. You will believe in either some other force that put it all together or you'll believe in God who put it together. One way or the other, you require faith to either believe in creation or in some kind of scientific explanation of what happened. Whatever the case is, you are going to require faith for one of those two things. And, and, and I, may I present to you, it's better to put your faith in a creator. Just think about the intricacies. None of you are thinking right now and telling your heart to beat. None of you are sitting here telling your lungs to fill up with air and process the, the oxygen particles and, and capture the, the oxygen and expel the carbon dioxide. None of you here are, are telling your bloodstream to go at a certain pace or a certain speed. None of you are trying to physically regulate your temperature. Your fingers are too cold, so you, you automatically focus your, your body's energy to warm up those fingers. None of you are doing that here this morning. It's all happening on autopilot. And the breakfast you all had this morning, nobody's sitting here thinking about how to tell your, your digestive tract to process that and get the right nutrients to the right organs. It's all happening on its own. You can't tell me that was an act uh, uh, of just random chance, but that was the act of a creator who intricately timed everything perfectly to work according to his will. That's faith. It requires faith to believe that. I didn't see it happen. I wasn't there for it. I, I frankly don't have enough scientific evidence to, to prove it's true, although I'm sure there's some out there. I'm just saying at the end of the day, somewhere along the line, the Bible makes it very clear, you're going to have to believe something by faith. And does that mean, what do we do with doubt? What do we, should that, you know, the automatic should statements come in, Right? Well, that means I shouldn't doubt. No, doubt is okay. Doubt in its, in its own place is a question, and questions are not bad. Questions are good. But you got to do something with that doubt. You can't let it sit. You can't let it fester. You can't let it collect dust, so to speak, in your heart. But you've got to take your doubt and bring it somewhere and process it in a certain way. Mark chapter 9, verse 24 says, And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. You've got to bring your doubts to Jesus. Bring what you believe to him too, but also bring him your questions. Bring him your concerns. Bring him your, your doubts. It's not a lack of faith to ask questions. But it's, it is a lack of faith to stop believing because of a question. To leave a question unaddressed, a doubt unanswered. And oftentimes doubts are, are, are more of an emotional response rather than a mental reasoning. I've talked to people, and I've answered questions, responded to questions, and it didn't, it didn't reduce the doubt. You, never, you ever wonder why that is? Sometimes you, you, you give a legitimate answer to a legitimate question, and it sometimes doesn't answer the doubt. You think, well, that should have fixed it, right? That should have fixed the problem. That, should have, that answer was a good one. It should, have, it should have been like an aha moment. You know, that person should have been like, oh, okay, no problem. I see it now. Makes sense, right? And this is sometimes, we mistake the, the mental doubt with emotional doubt. And emotional doubt comes from pain and suffering on, the, on that person's experience. And, 
and, and, and perhaps some, some questions, not about what is being taught or, or, or believed, but maybe a past experience that relates to this certain type of belief. And, and that, that causes emotional doubt, which is a lot more difficult to deal with because it's not really about the question. It's about the pain behind the question. It's about the experience of that person, you know, that the, maybe they had a bad experience in a church or a bad experience with a, a, a family member, you know, thumping them with the Bible, so to speak, and being somewhat abusive with it. And, and that emotional doubt is never answered by the answer to a question. It's only answered when you bring that pain to Jesus. You bring that emotional hurt to Jesus, then the emotional doubt can be dealt with. Whatever the case is, whatever, whatever place you are in, if you find that the answers to your question don't provide a sense of peace, then it's not an intellectual doubt, it's emotional doubt. And you've got to go a little deeper to find out what is the pain behind this question? Why does this strike me? Why does this prick me in a negative way? Why do I get angry or irritated at this message? It's not the message, it's the pain that's associated with the memory behind the thing, that's, that thing that's hiding. And, and this father crying out with tears had emotional doubt. In Mark chapter 9, verse 24, the man had brought his child, his sick child, to the disciples. And the disciples could not do anything about it. The disciples could not heal the boy. The disciples could not deal with the demonic spirit. And whatever they did, whatever process they went through, caused some emotional doubt in this father. No doubt this father had taken his boy to the Jewish priests and scribes, and they couldn't do anything with him. That pain of seeing his child tormented by an evil spirit created emotional doubt in him. So when he came to Jesus... And Jesus said, I can fix this. I can do this. If you believe anything is possible, the father had that emotional doubt experience where he said, I do believe, Jesus, but there's an emotion inside of me that's causing some unbelief. There's a, a pain behind this situation that I, I need you to help me with the unbelief. Sometimes you've got to ask and keep on asking. You've got to then bump up your asking to seeking. Jesus said, if you ask, you shall receive. If you seek, you will find. And if you knock, you've got to sometimes bump your asking and your seeking up to knocking. And your level of desire will press you to the level of intensity in which you seek for the answer. In every case, Jesus said, the answer will come. Faith. So what does faith look like? This is what faith is. But how is it translated? How do I translate this concept of faith into my life? It starts by how I speak. How I speak often affects how I believe. Words are powerful, right? A general can mobilize his troops with a spoken word. The feelings of affection or love are confirmed with words, especially if you're a words of affirmation kind of person. You know, that's, that's what speaks to you. That's what touches you when someone doesn't just say they love you, but they tell you why they love you, right? 
For the words of affirmation people in the room, you can go, yes, that, that's, that's me. I like affirming words. Some people communicate love through touch. Others communicate love through acts of service. Other people uh, communicate their love through quality time. And then others are, are affirmed, and their love language is affirmation. When someone can tell them why they, they love them or they respect them or they appreciate them, that's when, that's when the real communication begins for them. But that's all done through words. Lifetime promises were made at an, at an altar with words. You actually had to speak out loud and say, I do. <laughs> and when you said, I do to her, you said, I don't to everybody else. Right? You weren't just speaking to her. You were speaking to every other prospect along the way. For the rest of your life, we're saying, forever and always, you will be my I do. And to everybody else, it will be an I don't. See you later. Healing can be mended, can mend a broken relationship through spoken words. But likewise, damage can be done by words. Irreparable hurts can be made with words. Discouragement can come through a misspoken word. Gossip can ruin someone's reputation regardless of their actual character or trustworthiness through someone's ill-spoken words. Words can be spoken in a matter of seconds, but the echo of those words can last for generations. You don't turn many pages in the Bible before you encounter the power of a spoken word. In fact, if the Bible wasn't prefaced with a lot of intros and and doctrinal pages and, uh, you know, indexes, the first page of your Bible would deal with the power of the spoken word. Because in Genesis 1, verse 3, the Bible says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God was the spoken word. His word is what created life. And if we are created in God's image, then it, 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 it follows that we too have the power to creative speech, to create life and even death with our spoken words. Proverbs 18 verse 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. They are in the power of your tongue to speak life into something or speak death into something. Whatever the case is, you, if you speak life, it will, be, it will be received and it can do great things. And if you speak negatively, if you speak death into something, it can likewise just be as potent, just be as strong, just be as detrimental to that person as life. So faith is something that we speak. How we speak affects our faith. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 13 says, We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore I have spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. When we believe, we're going to say what's in 
our heart. And, and Paul says we had that same spirit of faith that the psalmist had. He was speaking in the language of faith that the psalmist said when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke up. I said something. I declared what I believe. I, I, I uttered my heart's desires and my faith. But that doesn't mean that faith ignores reality. The speaking faith is not just positive speak. It's not just, you know, speaking the best case scenario. You know, talk positively until the best possible outcome happens. That's not faith. Because faith never ignores reality. Faith never ignores reality. Read the Psalms. You ever gone to the Psalms when you were discouraged, hoping to feel better? And ever felt worse? How long shall the wicked triumph? Psalms 94, verse 3. How long shall they utter and speak hard things, and all the workers of iniquity boast themselves? Have mercy on me, Psalm 6, 2 through 3. I am weak, O Lord. Heal me. My bones are vexed. My soul is sore vexed. But thou, O Lord, how long? The Psalms are filled with how long statements. When? Not, not questions like, can God do it? But when will he do it? The, 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 the how long questions were asked, like not like will God or does God care, but, but it's a, how long, God, are you going to let me go through this trial before you answer my prayer? This is what Paul meant by the spirit of faith. Because the spirit of faith acknowledges the reality of my situation. Listen, you can't bring your problem to God if you're not willing to pick it up and take it to Him. Ignoring your sickness. Well, I'm, 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 I have so much faith in God, I'm not going to call it out even by name. That's not faith. Faith does not ignore the reality of what you're facing. Faith picks up reality and brings it to a God who can handle the problem. That is faith. Faith is not fear of the problem itself, but bringing the problem to the one who can solve, fix, handle, aid, give grace for, give strength to carry you through the problem. It's the psalmist that says, uh, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't disavow the fact that he was going through a dark time. He didn't put on the smile and say, oh, I'm fine. Everything's good. Uh, everything's all right. I'm, I'm, I'm okay, but, you know, by the grace of God, I'm just going to make it through. No, no, no. He said, I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, but I will not fear because you are with me. My faith is not in the problem. The problem doesn't have power over my joy. My faith is in the one who is with me. That's what Paul meant by the spirit of faith. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18 says, We're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be evident in our dying bodies. And he continues on and continues on. And then he ends the whole thing by saying, we never give up. Because the spirit of faith acknowledges 
what I'm facing, but does not place it bigger than God. The spirit of faith will say, I'm sick in my body, but I believe in God's power to heal. Faith does not ignore reality. Faith supersedes reality. Faith exalts God and places him above my reality. But until I acknowledge what I'm going through, I can't put God above my problems. Until I acknowledge the fact that I'm dealing with an addiction and I bring it to God, God is not above my addiction. One of the greatest steps to getting healing from those who are struggling with addiction is when they finally say, I am addicted to XYZ. I do have a problem here. And when they take that first step of acknowledging reality, then it gives them the ability to make a step to change that reality. When you accept reality, you can bring that reality to the feet of Jesus and allow faith to go over top and supersede reality that says I may be facing a stage 4 diagnosis of XYZ but I serve a God who's able to restore and heal and deliver. I bring my sickness to Jesus. I bring my family issues to Jesus. I bring my broken situations and relationships to Jesus because he's able to handle it. Faith speaks. Faith is the echo of God's promises. It's the echo of what God says to you. It's the echo of his word. Faith is, you know what an echo is, right? It's when sound leaves one place and bounces off something and it comes back to it. Your declaration of faith is the echo of God's promise. But you cannot be the recipient of the promise until you echo it in faith. Because until the sound wave hits the object... It has not reached its destination. Until you speak faith, you cannot have received the promise because faith is the echo of that promise that God sent to you. It's the echo of the word. When Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, and you pick up your feelings of loneliness and insecurity and and, and depression and fear, and you bring them back to Jesus and say, Jesus, you said, your word declares that you would never leave me or forsake me. What am I doing? I'm echoing the promise. I'm saying, God, your promise is found its mark here and I'm bouncing it back to you. I'm the echo of your promises. Faith is the echo. God sends it out to me and until I speak it, it has not arrived at its destination. Until I declare you are able, more than able, to heal, to save, to deliver. And I speak to this sickness and command it to leave in Jesus' name. I'm echoing the promises and the word of God. It has found its mark on me and I'm bouncing it back back to God. Faith speaks. God will answer my prayers. I will have the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is a gift. When you, for those of you that are seeking the gift of the Holy Ghost, you can just say, God, you have promised me your spirit. It's a promise from your word. Find every scripture that talks about the promise of the spirit. Memorize and quote it. Be the echo of that thing back to God saying, God, this is what your word declares. It's a promise forever for all flesh. You said you'd pour it out upon all flesh. Well, I'm flesh, God, and you said you'd pour it out on me, so pour it out, Lord. I I'm the echo of your word. I speak faith. I speak what I believe in Jesus' name. 
You will forgive me of my sins. When Satan tries to lay shame and guilt and condemnation on your shoulder, you say, I was baptized in Jesus' name. The Bible says that my sins are now all washed away. According to Acts, you can find the verses, memorize them, quote them, and be the echo of God's promise. When you're stressed or afraid, you can bring up those verses too. You can memorize the word planted in your heart and become the echo of God's promise. What am I doing, Pastor, when I practice this? I'm being the echo of faith. Faith is the echo of God's promises. This diagnosis has me concerned, Lord. It has me worried. I'm afraid I'm going to miss my kid's graduation. I'm going to, afraid I'm going to miss this. I'm, and these are legitimate things. But God, you said you are my healer. And until you tell me to stop praying for it because your grace is sufficient for me to walk through this, I'm going to claim my healing in Jesus' name. I'm going to speak to every, every advancement of this disease, every advancement of this promise, uh, this problem, and I'm going to bring it back to you, Lord, until you tell me to stop praying for it. That's the pattern. Paul said, I sought the Lord three times to remove the thorn. And the Lord finally said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul basically said, I stopped praying about it. Because God gave me grace to go through it. Sometimes he wants to deliver me in it. And other times he wants to deliver me through it. Whatever the case is, I'm, it's not going to affect my faith. I can still have faith in God, even if his answer is not now or no. Trust, praise. This is what I want, Lord, nevertheless. Not my will, but thine be done. But faith does more than just speak. Faith acts. James chapter 2, verse 17. So faith by itself does not have works. It is dead. If there is no action behind your faith, if there is no steps made behind it, then your faith is kind of in a stagnant, dead zone. It is not active. It is not working faith, but it is dead faith. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. But James said, show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Great. Good job. Clap, clap, clap. You're doing well. But guess what? You're just in the camp with the devil. Because he believes God is one too. And he trembles at that fact. So if all you have is mental belief upstairs, if all you have is everything up in here, and say, well, I have faith. I believe God. It's a mental thing, right? It's a mental I, I assert and, you know, this is, what, this is what I believe. This is, I declare it and this is what it is. James says, you're, you're just on the same level with Satan and the rest of the angels. They all believe that God is one and God can do and God can this and God can that. But they have no actions to back it up. They don't live by that faith. James is teaching us here in, in James chapter 2 that faith is something that has action behind it. Speaking faith is important, but there comes a point where it's not just enough to say it, I've actually got to do something about it. An action demonstrates that my faith is viable and really something truly worth believing in. The entire Christian walk is marked by faith. It's marked by, by the, the practice of doing something that we cannot back up with evidence of things seen. In other words, if I believe that God loves me, and I love him. 
my response will be to obey his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. If I believe God will heal the sick, then I must pray with confidence. I must pray the same style of prayers that Jesus prayed. Jesus never laid hands on a sick person and said, God, please heal them. I'm exaggerating for effect. Nobody actually does that, right? I mean, maybe some people do, but it's not common. Nobody, you're not going to come get prayer and someone's going to put on the big sad clown face and dramatically say. But sometimes we might pray something like, oh, Lord, please, Lord, if it's possible in your will, God, somehow, if you could find it in your grace and in your favor, God, uh, if it's okay with you today, Jesus, would you please heal this sickness? But the disciples never prayed like that. What did Peter do? At the gate, beautiful. Well, silver and gold have I none, but I have something for you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Man, that's, but what if God doesn't do it? Well, I'm not the healer. I'm not the healer. But, but won't you damage their faith? Probably not. <laughs> Probably we won't, especially if you're going to, you know, and take, take it with a grain of salt. Peter's talking to a Jew, right? So there's a, there's a, a God factor knowledge. If you're talking to someone who has no God factor knowledge, you might want to explain something to them first. This is what the Bible tells me to do. This is, you know, if I'm praying for someone who doesn't know God or doesn't know much about God, I might just explain it anyway for the fun of it. Hey, look, I want to pray for you. I believe what the Bible says. The Bible says believers shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's what the Bible says. I'm just going to take it at face value, okay? So let's just do something here. I'm going to pray a very bold prayer with you because I believe God wants to touch your life. What am I doing? I'm not diminishing. I'm explaining what I'm about to do so they're not freaked out by it. I'm going to trust that God's going to heal your body, so I'm going to pray a very bold prayer, okay? Now, I'm not going to do anything crazy. I'm not going to shake you or knock you over. I'm just going to pray a very bold prayer and command this problem in your body to go. Is that okay with you? Why am I saying is that okay with you to them? Because it's a connection point of faith. If they say yes, then they're in agreement with me. It's so much easier to pray when I'm in agreement with somebody. So then I can pray my bold prayer, and I don't have to scream, I don't have to huck a buck, I don't have to shimmy and shimmer all over the place, I don't have to tremble or shake or speak in tongues in their ear and, and anoint them with spit and spittle. I don't have to do any of that. I can just do like the apostles and like Jesus. Jesus would just speak to the sickness and it would leave. When Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray by faith, he says you just need a mustard-sized seed of faith to pray and say to the mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. Pray with faith, speaks to the problem and commands it to leave as according to the word of God. And if God does not see fit to heal them in that moment, that is not up to me. That's not on me. That's on him. I'm just going to step out by, I'm going to act on what I believe, and chances are if I act on what I believe in the Word, God's going to back up my move of faith. And what if God doesn't do it? Okay, so He didn't do it that time. But maybe if I keep on asking, 
and I keep on seeking and I keep on knocking, then God will eventually, one time, it will happen. It was the persistent widow who consistently went back to the king. Jesus said it was because of her persistence that she got what she wanted in prayer because faith brings the need back to God and says, God, it's still on you. It's only by your grace. It's only by your power. It's only by your spirit that this thing can move. My faith acts and brings it to you. I know God will fill me with the Holy Ghost, so I keep on praying. It takes faith to pray any kind of prayer. It takes faith to ask and keep on asking. It takes faith to get baptized. Right? Who, who, why in the world would you, would you get on a funny looking robe, get into a pool of water that's 83 degrees right now, by the way? Yeah, it's, it's, if, that doesn't feel like 83, but, but it's, it's better than 63, what it was when church started this morning. It takes faith there's no faith in the water. There's nothing. It's chlorinated water, town of Ajax water that needs to be changed. It's chlorinated. It's safe, but the filter needs to be cleaned and everything. That, that's the next cleaning day project. It takes an entire day to do that. There's nothing special about this baptismal tank. It's just running water. It, there's nothing magical about it. There's nothing magical about the person that's baptizing you. Definitely not. Nothing magical about it. There's really nothing even magical in the words that I say. What makes the difference is your faith in the words that are being said. I now baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. When you take the step of faith to be baptized, the, the, the act of faith is what connects to God. God recognizes it and you receive the spiritual blessing of the remission and forgiveness of your sins by that. Repentance is an act of faith. To acknowledge to a God you cannot see your moral standards are greater than mine and I have transgressed your ways and I, I seek your forgiveness. That is an act of faith. When you give of your, your tithes, your offerings, uh, your, your devotion to God, your time uh, and your effort and your energy, those are acts of faith in the God that you serve. To get up on Sunday morning, get your family ready and out the door and to church requires faith. You don't come here for no reason, but you came here because there is a mustard-sized seed of faith in your life that says, I need something from someone that I cannot get anywhere else. To clap your hands, to lift your hands, to worship, to sing, all requires faith. These are acts of faith. To live holy, separated from the world, not like the world, not following the, 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 the trends and the the fashions of this world, takes faith. These are acts of faith. Somewhere along the line, faith is something you've got to act on and do something about. Otherwise, it's not living faith. What does faith look like? Faith speaks, faith acts, and faith fights. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 God will let you know the devil ain't going to be very happy with your newfound acts of faith or speaking of faith. And so he's going to fight your faith with all kinds of things. 
Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we are, we are fighting against spiritual forces. And, and the, the devil has fiery darts that he launches at believers. He launches fiery darts and questions. What did he do to Eve? Did, 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 did Satan deceive Eve by forcing her to pick the, the fruit from the tree? No. All he did was ask her a question. His weapons of warfare were not physical. They were not material. Satan has no power to materially attack or physically attack you if you're a child of God. But he will ask you questions. Did God really say? Are you sure that's what the Bible really means? Is that really what the scripture says? Does the word of God really teach that? Isn't there another way of looking at that? These are the kinds of questions and things that Satan will bring to our attention. That, so faith says, I'm going to fight and hold on to the truth of the word of God. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 says, we walk not in the flesh, nor do we war after the flesh. Your warfare is not a physical one, but it's a spiritual one. The weapons of your warfare are not carnal. They're not material, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Where are the strongholds of the enemy? Verse 5, casting down imaginations, thoughts, every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In other words, you cannot just let thoughts roam free in your brain as a Christian. You've got to capture them. You've got to grab a hold of them and force them to obey the word of God. Your brain is going to fill up with thoughts all day long. And, and, and the, the more you entertain yourself with the things of the world, the more those thoughts are going to take on the image and the tone and the sound of what you hear and what's taught to you in the world. So you've got to capture it. You've got to grab a hold of it. Bring it back to the word of God and align it with scripture. Does the Bible say this? Does God want me to live? this way what does God how does God want when you struggle with your anxiety do this take the, the thoughts that bring you anxiety and write them down on a piece of paper and don't filter them if your thoughts are full of swear words write them down on a piece of paper don't filter them and try to be pretty about it let it come down because you you grab a hold of those thoughts if you don't write them down you can't grab a hold of them thoughts are slippery you try to grab a thought, you ever try to, you know, try to calm yourself down and your brain spins faster and faster, and man, I just can't seem to get hold on my thoughts, write one down, because then you can grab it. And then you can bring that thought back into alignment with the Word of God. You can bring that thought back into alignment with Scripture. You can bring that anxiety. Man, this is never going to get any better. Really? Never? It's never going to get better? The, the truth might be, you know what? This is really irritating me today. Most likely we'll get better. It's not better right now. I'll be okay. Right? But sometimes the, the oh, this is never going to change. That can, that can swirl around in your head like a giant tornado until you write it down on paper and you look at it and you go, Really? You even write it down and walk away, come back an hour later and look at it and go, wow, that's the thought that was like, like a big cyclone in my brain causing me to, uh, I can't think straight. They call it behavioral cognitive therapy. You can look it up. There's better ways of doing it than how I'm telling you. It's, I'm not a therapist by any stretch. 
but look it up, behavioral cognitive therapy. It's, it's, it's very, very in line with the scripture. Capture every thought, every imagination, and cause it to obey Christ. My faith will cause me to fight for the promises of God. Here we stand this morning. I don't know where you're at today, what you're struggling with, what you're dealing with, but I'm here to remind you and to encourage you, your faith is something worth fighting for. You can speak faith, you can act on what you believe, and you can fight for what you believe, and God will back it up. God will meet you at the point of your need. Hallelujah. Why don't we just lift our hands and worship the Lord? Maybe you need help. Maybe you need strength. Maybe you need a healing in your body. Maybe you need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I don't know what you're, what you're seeking the Lord for this morning, but I want, I want you to reach out to God and believe in his word. Hallelujah, Jesus. Maybe you need to find a place of prayer at the altar, a place of consecration, of dedication to God. Maybe you need to bring him your doubts, your fears, your, your worries, your anxieties. Whatever the thing is that you need this morning, would you bring it to Jesus? Would you bring it to him this morning?
We love you, Lord. We worship you. We praise and magnify you today. Bless your people today. Cause your spirit to shine in their lives and your presence to fill them, Lord Jesus. Help us to take action on the faith we have in you. In Jesus' name, let your word go forth in our lives and produce fruit. We love and worship you, Jesus. We give you the thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to make a couple announcements before you're dismissed today.